Hello and welcome again to Punks on the Pitch podcast, a show where the beautiful game meets brutal music. Uh, we're once again in the lead up to the weekend's fixtures, lots of going on in the world of football as always. And once again, rather than just hearing my rambling voice, I have a lovely, lovely guest with me. He is a writer, he is a co-host of the Riot Act podcast, and like me, he is a long-suffering Portsmouth fan. Uh, I'm joined by Stephen Hill. Stephen, thank you very much for, for joining me. Thanks very much, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. I mean, I think, guessing our ages, I'm a slightly even longer-suffering Portsmouth fan than you, <laughs> so I can remember some really, really dreadful things. Uh, not that you need to have been yeah. supporting us that long to remember some pretty dreadful things, but yeah, I can remember some stupendously dreadful things, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about as, as the podcast progresses. Yeah, like I've, I'm trying to think, 97, 98, I think was when I first started going. Oh, so shit. I've, oh. Yeah, so I've, so I've seen some dark days. I'm not I'm not one of these people that joined when we were in the Premier League. You, so. you missed some serious heartache. Like when I first started going, um, yeah, we had a few years when I, when I first started going, which I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit. But yeah, my first few years, FA Cup semi-final with Darren Anderton against Liverpool. Missing yeah. out on promotion to the Premier League by goal difference, the you know the playoff balls up, the the Terry Fennick years, oh, horrible, horrible <laughs> yeah. time to be alive. Indeed. Well, obviously, where this is a combination of of football and music, how we're starting everything off, and I'm sure you're probably one of these people that has music coming out your ears with with your job and so as yeah. well, but. Is there any kind of music you've been jamming over the last week that you've been really into? Um, over the last week or so? Well, yeah, quite. I mean, a fair bit. I mean, obviously, I do a lot of reviews for and try and listen to as much new stuff as possible. One of the great of pleasures in life that I find these days is I've got a little room upstairs, which I've just set up as my vinyl room, which is something which I've longed nice. for my whole life. So if ever I get a chance to sort of sit down and, um, and listen to some vinyl, that feels like... A, a kind of a bit of an escape from the, the world of having to listen to music and having to sort of articulate <laughs> yeah. why it's good or not. Like it's difficult sometimes. I know people will be like, oh, woe is you. You have to listen to music and work out whether or not it's good. <laughs> I know that's like a really sort of pathetically pretentious thing to say, but it, it's kind of true, you know, like having to go, I need to formulate an opinion on this straight away um, can be a little bit grating sometimes. So going up and sitting in my room, like I bought The Chronic by Dr. Dre on vinyl the nice. other week and it just sounds so, so, so good. It feels like listening to it for the first time in for God knows how long. And I got the um, the Failure 92 to 96 vinyl box set that came through as well and that's abso absolutely lovely. But obviously those are two um, 90s classics. Um, Injury Reserve put a song out a couple of months ago and I know the guy passed away very sadly quite soon after um that was put out but I've not really said that or spoken to anyone about that which I uh, that's brilliant and they're a, a really brilliant band unfortunately it doesn't look like we're going to get any more music from them but yeah that's wicked yeah um the new Svalbard album is coming out on Friday as we speak a couple of days yeah. from now which is brilliant um the Fawn Limbs album were kind of three piece from Pennsylvania who make disgustingly heavy kind of grindcore meets sugar meets 
uh, sort of Apex Twin stuff. I really, really like that as well. And to be, you know, sort of Billy Basic and talk about something pretty obvious, the new Deftones album is right good. That's out in a few yeah, days. Yeah. That's really, really good as well. Um, yeah, man, I try and get as much stuff in as well. And if people like sort of ambient electronic stuff, there's an album by Sand Dunes who's, uh, and Richard Spaven. Richard Spaven's an English drummer. And Sand Dunes is a, uh, an Indian. She's she's an Indian electronic artist, and it's really kind of amb- oh, okay. ambient electronic stuff, sort of boards Canada-y. Um, yeah, which is really, really great as well. If you want something to put on in the background and just feel like you know chilled out and nice about yourself then that's really good as well yeah yeah mm. well i've got to be on the bit of a bias note so it's like svalbard is some of my best friends but that new record is i think i'm hoping kind of steps them up onto sort of the next level like they were on an upward trajectory anyway but this record just feels massive for them yeah. in my opinion it, yeah it is and it's it's um i mean i was about to say it's got lots of surprises on it but then i I kind of go, is it that much of a surprise that it's that good? I feel like, like you say, the trajectory's been so steady over the the period of them being a band that this feels like the kind of, um, I, I don't want to say the final step because I think they, they the, I, I really feel like as good as this record is, I feel like they could make a better record than this. But I do think that this yeah, is yeah. absolutely the kind of the pinnacle of what they've done so far. It's really, really good. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Well, in terms of kind of like the football world of things, we'll get into Pompey a bit more in a, in a minute. But for you personally, where do you kind of feel like the crossover between like the punk DIY world and the football world comes into things? Because I think I mentioned to uh, Adam and I our first show, like for me, it was kind of that kind of being an outsider and but being accepted into like the football community was what I was kind of drawn to. And that's kind of a parallel that I draw with the punk world. So where did the crossover come in for you? I mean, there's certainly a lot of tribalism in both of those things. I think there's, there's definitely, like you say, that thing of wanting to belong to a certain group of people who share the same passion and a very very strong kind of unquenchable 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 passion for something (laughs) you know people who love football tend to love football and people who love punk rock tend to love punk rock you don't really get kind of particularly casual fans i think as the game has progressed from sort of you know when i remember i used to go and sort of stand on the fratten end the kind of with you know no roof in February in front of 6,000 people to watch us beat Barnsley 2-1 <laughs> or whatever. Um, and that felt like quite a kind of dank, you know, you'd pay, my dad would pay, you know, a tenner to get both of us in just through the turnstile on the day and you'd go and stand down the front or wherever you could. And that felt like quite a kind of dank, uh, like I guess to a lot of people would think that it's quite an unwelcoming you know horrible thing to do with your saturday afternoon i yeah. remember going to swindon on boxing day one day and it was snowing and there's no cut co- there was no cover on the the away end and there's probably about 200 pompey fans and we were pathetic in the first half and michael Ca- <laughs> michael carrick was on loan at swindon and he scored the goal to put them one nil up and then steve claridge got an 82nd minute equalizer and we were stood in the snow and it was horrible it was just grim grotty nasty boxing day while most people are kind of tucked up having their you know their <laughs> they're getting their family round and sitting in front of the fire <laughs> yeah. and having chocolates and having a nice time me and my dad were freezing but it all felt kind of you get that that communal rush of everyone rushing towards Claridge stood up at, in this away end it was you know it's sort of 
it might be sort of nasty and appear like to some people who don't really get it it might seem like a really weird thing to want to do to do that just like it might seem like a really weird thing to want to go to the black heart and watch you know venom prison or something and get jumped on yeah, and screamed yeah, yeah. at and have strobe lights in your face but i think when you're in it and when you really love it the fact that other people don't understand it probably makes it all the more exciting and it becomes more of like your thing do you know what i mean i certainly think yeah i certainly think there's there's a lot to be said about that um in the lower leagues as well you know having having been watching you know from going from the the premier league years down to the the sort of the the fourth tier of english football relatively quickly well very quickly (laughs) annoyingly quickly (laughs) um if you're a pompey fan then um uh, i i sort of got bored towards the end of the premier league years but i've actually i actually really like where we are in i mean i don't like the football particularly and i don't I, I want us to be successful but i actually quite like you know going to dagenham and redbridge and Leighton orient and you know carlisle and, and places like that and i like kind of reacquainting yourself with like, i remember going to the abbey stadium in cambridge which is a, sh- a shithole absolute shithole but (laughs) you know but it's after you know going to Stamford Bridge or whatever it feels like a really quaint nice place and I think punk rock's about kind of character and just that kind of scrappy nature of we might not be that good at that but let's let's get it done and I think particularly lower league football has a lot of that so yeah the parallels are definitely there yeah and I think like you said that kind of especially in the lower leagues like I remember going and it's not so much lower league, but when we were in the first division, like what's now mm. obviously the championship, I remember we went to a, like a few away games and we went to QPR one one time and they've got, obviously Loftus Road is quite a nice ground in comparison to what Fratton Park used to yeah. be. And I remember we were sort of like, oh, this is a bit swanky, <laughs> isn't it? Sort of thing. And this is like, it's QPR. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's not... It's not that massively different, but I've got kind of a similar story to your Swindon one. I remember we were playing, I think it was uh, the year the Fulham went up for the first time, like years ago, um, and they still had Louis Sahar in the squad. And we were, we went to, to Craven Cottage. And again, it was before they had the roof on the away end. It was absolutely pissing it down with rain. Pompey had two players sent yeah, off. I remember this game. And I think yeah. Sahar, I think Sahar got a hat trick mm-hmm. or something like that, and I was just wet and miserable. My dad just turned around to me and was like, "That was fun, wasn't it?" And I was like, "Yeah, no, it actually was, despite being really miserable." I remember that game. I think it was weren't we we were one all for a long time. Then we went down to nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that was a. Ugh, I re- I've really fancied. I know, ridiculous again. Like the, I really fancied us to do it that day. I think we got back, we equalised, and I was like, come on, we can do it. And with 10, even hanging on with 10 men, we were never going to hang on with nine men. Yeah. No. But I, I don't usually ask this, but I have to because, obviously, with you being a, a Pompey fan. So, what kind of got you into the team? Like, why, why, why Portsmouth? Well, my, my dad is was born in Portsmouth. And um, right. my that side of my family like my nan. My nan's actually, my nan was Canadian. And I don't know if this is too personal, but sod it um my 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 <laughs> nan got pregnant with my dad and my granddad who i never met went i don't want that kid so my nan my oh, nan shit. fled to portsmouth from canada and, stu- oh, and wow. started up yeah yeah and sort of settled down in, in portsmouth and um 
she uh and she raised my dad and my uncle and met someone else and she started a ca and she had a cafe in portsmouth and then um when my dad got older and he moved he moved, I, I live in overton which is just which is a village just outside of basingstoke so everyone yeah, yeah. i went to school with supported southampton and yeah my dad from a very i mean i went to my first game i went to i was four at fratton park i don't remember it but apparently david seaman was in goal for birmingham in 1984 oh, okay. yeah, in 1984 and um so i wasn't that invested probably until i was about nine and I think it was just after we'd been, re we had that one season in the top flight and we got relegated. And I went on the first day of the season when we were back in the old Division 2. And mm. that was when I was like, oh, I love this. This is brilliant. And I was, so I would have been nine years old. But yeah, my, and we used to go down, you know, we, we'd go down and see my nan who was still living in Portsmouth. And that's where my dad was from, all his mates down there. So I still, like when I go with my dad now, you know, my dad's in his late 60s now and he still meets up with his same group of mates that he used to, yeah, like, yeah. he used to bunk. He used to, would tell me like I used to bunk off school to get the train up to, you know, um, Liverpool or something. I mean, he he was at the Anfield game in the seventy. Everyone talks about this famous night where we we lost four one to the great Liverpool team of the seventies, but we took up, you know, the the whole of the the away end and stuff. And you know, he used to bunk off. He said he would bunk off school and go and do stuff like that. So yeah, I was just kind of conditioned to be a Pompey fan from my dad. <laughs> yeah. I would say to my dad, I've inherited two things from you, my hairline and having to support Pompey. And it feels like that is enough <laughs> to call like the NSPCC um, <laughs> retrospectively. Uh, but but yeah, so, you know, that's where my dad was from. That's where his, his friends are from. And it, it's really nice. Like, I go down and when we do go, and I don't go as much as I used to. I was a season ticket holder for years and years and years. But um, I still see the same faces that my dad kind of grew up with. So yeah, it's cool. I don't really have any friends who support us, so I'm sort of always hanging out with men in their mid sixties or whatever. But you know, it's yeah. it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just a yeah, a fun time. It was the same kind of thing. Like, so I was we were season ticket holders from, say, I think about ninety nine to probably about two thousand nine. So about ten years. So about because we stopped being season ticket holders when I went off to uni. Yeah. But and again, like yourself, I don't go to as many games as as I used to. But whenever I do, I still try and get either the same seats or around where we used to sit, which was in the North Sand. And like, even if it had been like a passage of two, three years, you'd still go and you'd still see the same faces and the same people. Yeah. And like, you'd 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 reconnect and have those. It was like as if you'd never gone. Like, mm. you'd still have those friendships. It, it, it say even if those people are. 20 30 years older than <laughs> yeah, you yeah, sort yeah. Of thing. it is a really cool kind of communal thing i think um and again which is a similar thing to to punk rock you can really you really bond over the type of bands you love and the gigs you've seen and the the music that you have a strong connection to and i think yeah it, it's that thing that john cusack says in high fidelity that the things you like it's not what you're like it's what you like and it's yeah. amazing how just i can start chatting to someone and i mention paul merson and they'll go oh paul Mer like and you're like oh paul <laughs> yeah. and suddenly we're we're best friends you know and then so in terms of kind of like i guess supporting a, at the moment obviously a lower league team but i think pompey's always had this kind of underdog mentality but with the biggest heart like we pride ourselves on having this incredible fan base and things like that. So 
like again kind of like in terms of the crossover do you feel like i don't know like not to equate pompey to like a band or anything like that but i don't know i feel like we're a team that is always on the cusp of greatness but never quite achieving it kind of thing like where do you kind of see us? well we it's an island mentality isn't it like portsmouth yeah. is an island and it has that you know there's 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 a slightly even kind of growing up in hampshire there's a slightly different language that portsmouth has from like dinlow you know <laughs> like i've never yeah. heard anyone outside of portsmouth call someone a dinlow before and if you don't if yeah. you listen to this and you don't know what that means um well you're a dinlow aren't you um <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah but it, it is it's that kind of that sort of island mentality and us being right you know you know that's where so many of the you know it's a, a naval town and all this stuff i think really feeds into that like you say that outsider mentality and um and we've never i mean apart from the you know the two leagues we've won and the the two fa cups that we've won we're a big club in kind of in in every respect but in kind of no respect as well like you know we've got i don't want us to leave fratton park because I think like no. that is the one. Th- th- there aren't many atmospheres like like Fratton Park when it's really rocking left in football. And then when we were in the Premier League and they were saying we're going to move to a different thing and that, I, I was always like, we either do it at Fratton like this, or let's just go. And I would rather be in the fourth division with a crumbling Fratton Park than be in the Premier League with some, you know, kind of soulless nothing stadium. I yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Like I really don't want that to happen, and I don't know how many of our fans, especially newer fans, would agree with that. Um, but I just feel like I've seen so much stuff there, that, and it is different. You know, I've been to lots of grounds from clubs who are, you know, quote unquote bigger clubs. I think Preston's a massive club. You know, Wolves is a massive, massive club, and obviously Wolves are doing really well at the moment, and they've had their stadium done up. And you know, there are there are there are big clubs dotted all around the English game, but there's not really many clubs that I think are comparable to to Pompey in terms of, you know, what we current, what we do. Like, uh, Sunderland yeah. are actually, I know we hate Sunderland at the moment, but I think Sunderland are actually a really good example of a similar sort of club to us because you can't really say with the success they've had that Sunderland are a big club, but they attract so many people like Newcastle as well. I think we're quite similar yeah. to, to the Newcastles and the Sunderlands and those kind of teams that are really kind of are sort of stuck out in the middle of nowhere um, or stuck up far away from the, the hotbeds of English football, but have this massively passionate fan base and yeah. are so starved of success that sort of feel like they deserve success because they're so <laughs> like, we should have it. We deserve it. We have the most passionate fans. Look at, you know what I mean? Um, I know we're not as big as either Sunderland or Newcastle, but I do think it's a similar sort of mentality. And, and certainly for yeah. the South of England, I think we've, that's, we're very unique because I mean, I don't think like Brighton is not a bare pit. And even when the, the years Bournemouth in the Premier League, people quite liked going to Bournemouth, you know, it was a nice day out for them to go to Bournemouth. I mean, certainly, like, <laughs> yeah. it's a, you know, going to Southampton is not an intimidating place to go. But I feel like Pompey, we genuinely are like, it's it's an intimidating place for for teams to go because they are there. It's that they're a rabid, demanding fan base. Yeah, and 
something that was obviously massively unique about Pompey is one specific fan who I don't know like I think in part does kind of embody punk but at the same time <laughs> is a bit of a, a bit of a dickhead but Johnny Westwood he, he like, embodies punk in the same way Gigi Allen embodies punk yeah yeah that's that's a, like yeah. nail on the head but like what's your kind of opinion on on John Westwood um so uh I mean he I don't know. It's got harder and harder over the years to not have a sort of negative impression of him, to be honest. Um, (laughs) I once, uh, we went to, speaking of Wolves, we went went away to Wolves. The first, I think it was our second away game in the Premier League, the first year we were up and we had Wolves um, at uh, Molyneux, I should say. And he turned up, me and my dad sat in our seat and about 10 minutes into the game, and I feel like he, he by the accounts, he does this quite a lot. He doesn't actually manage to get himself out of the pub until, you know, the game has long since kicked off. Yeah. And he just kind of wandered down and sat right behind us. And the bat, the drum comes out and the horn comes out. And, you know, we were sort of cheering and singing and chanting and trying to G the players up anyway. But it became this thing of like pointing at us, going, you're not singing loud enough. You're not doing enough to support it. You're not this, you're not that. And I mean, unfortunately, that is a bit of a, <laughs> a punk thing, isn't it? Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You're not a real punk. You're not a proper punk. This isn't what punk rock's all about. And so, yeah, he kind of, he does, he unfortunately epitomizes the passion gone awry a little bit, I think. In, yeah, in, yeah. In both football fans and, uh, you know, that is unfortunately something which happens in punk rock a little bit too much as well i think yeah and obviously we've kind of touched upon the i guess the quote-unquote glory days of like our time in the premier league and obviously winning the winning division one winning the fa cup but obviously at the moment things are a bit i guess stagnant is a is a good way to describe how things are at the moment really bad yeah but what's like I guess firstly, what what's your opinion on on Kenny Jacket, and secondly, what's your kind of predictions for for this year? I think I'm very rarely a the manager's got to go guy. Like very, very, very rarely do I think the manager's got to go. But I think from years and years of watching football in general, not even just Pompey, but just watching football, I think you can tell when a manager has is second guessing himself and has just lost lost the plot a bit managers when they get to the end and when they've been there too long and like you say when it does get a bit stale they start to do strange things and jim smith did it you know uh, jim smith was an an absolute legend for us he nearly got us to the premier league he i you know i saw we drew two or old trafford under jim smith with a makeshift defence and they had Mark Hughes and Eric Cantona up front and they won the double that year and we went up there and we drew two all. We were three minutes away from an FA Cup final under Jim Smith. He was brilliant. But in his last year, just before he got sacked, he made some really odd decisions. He did some really weird things. And sometimes managers, they just, they are trying so hard to, to second guess themselves and to, to get to that next stage and to, to reach that next level that like Kenny has been for the last three years. I mean, I thought the first season under Kenny was good. Our first season yeah. up. Um, I thought he did as much as ever could have been asked of him. 
I thought the second season, obviously we were top for a long time and he lost Ben Thompson at Christmas and he lost David Wheeler at Christmas and he lost um, uh, the lad from Aston Villa whose name escapes me off the top of my head at the moment. Um, I want to say Louis Dennis, but that's not Louis Dennis. Andre Green. And we lost Andre Green and we were we sort of stumbled into the playoffs. I thought last season we started really badly and he kind of looked like he was starting to turn things around even though I felt like the squad was weaker. I think from the playoffs, since lockdown, from the playoffs to where we are now, he's starting to make decisions that worry me. As a, Yeah. Like, I, I, you know, Bryn Morris having not played for a year and a half and then being brought into the starting 11 ahead of our captain, Tom Naylor, comfortably yeah. our, our, our best midfield player. And and playing the entire, you know, he he played the full... 120 minutes in the second leg against Ox. You know, he's not played competitive football for about 18 months and he's playing the whole game. He's, you've got Tom Naylor on the bench to freshen. It just didn't make sense. Um, letting Christian Burgess go and not getting him replaced doesn't yeah. make sense. Um, there's, you know, this kind of refusal to change formation but playing people in weird positions. Persevering with Marquis up front who's not a lone striker. There's, there's, just so many things that he's done that uh that are just the 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 alarm bells are ringing and i think i mean you can't sack someone after three games of a new season you can't but i'm genuinely worried that we're gonna be too far adrift to get automatic promotion in a couple of months time because i can't see us scoring any goals and i I just can't see us scoring any goals. And I think, you know, we've had two nil-nil draws against two of the weakest teams in the division as we record this. And uh, I would expect us still to make the playoffs. But what does that mean? I'd rather not make the playoffs. We're not going to win a fucking... (laughs) We're never going to win a playoff game ever. Forget about it. It's never going to happen. So, yeah, I'm... I... I, He should have gone after the Oxford game. Yeah, I agree. Mm. And I think, like... It's quite obviously there was a lot of sort of calls for him to go then as well, and I think some of that has simmered down a little bit. But there's obviously still a big contingency of Portsmouth fans that do want him gone. But like you said, it's that kind of is it too uh, like do we give him a bit more time because we're only like by this weekend it'll be three games in. Like, do we give him time to settle because obviously he. Like, okay, we've only bought four players, really. But do we give them time to get them settled in? But then is it too late down the line? It's it's, it's that kind of weird grey area. And I think it's quite interesting. So uh, I used to to work for the Portsmouth News, like, like, a few years ago. And I got, like, quite close with, like, the sports team. And, like, Neil Allen there, sort of head, sort of Pompey writer... I think he's he's very like he's very good as a writer because he doesn't sort of mince his words. He doesn't sugarcoat managers, which I think is really nice mm-hmm. for for a sports reporter. And he was quite quick to jump to Kenny Jacket's defense, which I thought was quite interesting. But it does seem like after like with the close season and there not being much movement, I know the whole wage cap thing was a big issue. But it just doesn't. It feels like we're playing with the same team as last year that didn't get the job done. And 
I think you saying playoffs, personally, I think is optimistic. I, I don't think we're even going to get into the playoffs, personally. Well, I, I mean, I think the squad on paper, we should be looking at top two. I just think that ultimately, uh, you know, with players like, like Curtis is, Ronan Curtis is our, our main sort of threat but he's he's i think he's yeah. he's fairly hit and miss personally i think harness is could come good um we've just signed michael jacobs from wigan who looks like a good signer as well as we speak today as well we've just signed a danish center half who's won the the danish league two years running. Danish league, yeah. yeah so him with jack watmore if he's any if he's you know half decent i mean he it's surely better than sean raggett who is a bit of a disaster um <laughs> I think they need, they still, to me, they still need another striker. I think Ellis Harrison is uh, not going to score goals. And I think, no, I think John Marquis is a a donkey. I think he's rubbish, personally. (laughs) (laughs) I think, um, and I can't understand how Ben Close can't get in the team. I mean, I feel like, I don't know how interesting this is going to be to the majority of your listeners, just us chatting about Pompey. But I mean, the thing is, is, I mean, my dad doesn't want to get rid of Jacket. Because he's like, well, you know, he's done well for us. On paper, he has done really, really well for us. Um, but the football's been horrible to watch. The formation yeah. doesn't work. Um, you're right. You know, I think we've definitely regressed. I would fancy the Paul Cook League Two Championship Championship winning team um, to beat this lot that we've got at the moment. I mean, I really, I yeah. really would. I really think they would, they would, they would beat this. And that that's pretty shocking that we've. Um, We've fallen that far, really. But I still think mm. this is a bad league. League One is not... There's not much in League One that you should really be worried about. That's the frustrating thing, is that I don't think this is a good league at all. I think there's some yeah. really crap teams in this league. And even when you look at the kind of better end of this... I mean, people would immediately look at Sunderland and Ipswich and teams... I mean, I saw Ipswich on the opening day against Wigan and I thought they they're not they're not good Sunderland are not a good team <laughs> they're crap and we should be walking this league we should be walking this league yeah. and that's, I think that's the most frustrating thing about it but who do they get in who do they get in as a replacement I mean I personally I'd, yeah. I'd go for Nigel Clough I think that's the only realistic option people saying Eddie Howe are on drugs I mean god you might as well just go for Klopp <laughs> what about Jurgen Klopp guys have you thought about him it's like it's not going to happen um, but yeah I, I still think they should sneak in the playoffs they should cool right before we move on um i always like to ask and i'm i'm really interested in this one because obviously being a pompey fan myself like whether it's a player past or present who do you think pompey player most embodies sort of being punk and like sort of like the punk ethos oh shit that's a good question um hold on to think about this for a second my mind straight away has gone to Herman Herideson, who was just pissed, okay. pissed and a, a monster um, and pissed on the, 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 like the drop the FA Cup when we won the FA Cup. Just proper like, ah, like, yeah. I've never <laughs> seen a human being happier to win. I mean, you think like, it was a surprise when we won the FA Cup, but you had like Carnu's won stuff and David James has been at big clubs and Sol Campbell obviously won a lot of things and Silva Distan was, you know, international and... Glenn Johnson would have won stuff and Diara and all these sort of big name players that we had at the time. And then you've got Horidison, who was just this massive Scandinavian nutcase. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. He just would sort of charge around kicking people. I mean, a great player, slightly more limited than most of the players we had in that side. They were a very technically good side. Um, so, yeah, my mind immediately does go to Herman. But actually, um, I'm going to say Linvoy Primus. That's, see, that's who I'd go yeah. for. Linvoy Primus for, was came from Reading for free with no, when we were crap, had no hype around him at all, struggled to begin with, and ends up partnering Sol Campbell in the Premier League through sheer force yeah. of personality, through sheer force of will, love the team, love the club, did everything, does so much stuff for the community. Like, he is a proper, if you think of, you know, punk rock as being the, the you know, the, the communal spirit and the sort of the communal ethos, the sort of the community ethos of what that's meant to to represent. Linvoy's the man. Linvoy Primus is the you know we've had far better players than Linvoy come through the club, but I don't think we've ever had anyone who who tried harder ever than Linvoy. Yeah. Like and and he was a good player as well. Like by the end, he was a fucking good player as well. Yeah. I think that's like Linvoy's the one that I had in my mind because like as you say he came from nowhere he didn't really like that first season he was here he was a bit of a donkey in, him and Darren Moore bloody hell like, like couldn't trap yeah, a like, bag of cement like, between I mean, them that's the thing they were like these big sort of no no disrespect but like big lumbering defenders that were just sort of like brick walls which was good for for defence but like as we kind of like changed the mentality of the way we played, like a bit more flowing football, like he kind of fell out of favour. And I think like memory sort of passes me, but I think even under like Ricks, like he wasn't that in favour. And then obviously definitely under Harry Redknapp, mm. he was left out in in the shadows for a very long time. But just through injuries and through his perseverance he got back in the team and then just put in these incredible performances. Mm. And like, I remember like when we were in the Premier League, like this is obviously maybe not him at his height, but like holding his own against players like Michael Owen and like even Cristiano Ronaldo, like just marking him out of a game and things like that. It's like, Do you remember that tackle against Rooney when we beat, we, yeah. we beat <laughs> yeah. United 2-1 at home? The year, the, the, it was, you know, Mourinho was at Chelsea and Chelsea had won two titles on the trot and it was the first time United won, got the title back after that. And we beat, towards the end of the season, we beat United 2-1 at Fratton. And Rooney was clean through on goal. This is like, you know, 2007 Wayne Rooney. So he's like 23, 24 years old at the time. And he's clean through on goal. And Linvoy tears back and sticks from behind nearly just gets a toe on it and Rooney goes over and everyone yeah. was like oh it's a penalty it's a penalty ref didn't give a penalty they United went crazy and then I was like cool, how did he get away with that and then you watch the replay that night on telly and I was like yeah he's he's done it Linvoy's gone back and he's clean as a whistle just flicked the ball out from Rooney as he was about to knock it in a net and it was just and I remember on match of the day them going, that is a fantastic tackle by Linvoy Primus. And yeah, that's the yeah. thing, isn't it? It's like with, with with punk bands, you can go, you've got more money than us. You've got better equipment. You're better technically. You're better players. But if I, with my crappy old guitar and my 
bashed up instruments and our rudimentary songwriting if we just push ourselves if we really really push ourselves you can you can stand up there with the you know these kind of with the best and the you know the most hyped and mainstream thing you can you can do that you can get you can come from you know limbo i think he came from Reading, but was sort of barnet before that to, yeah, to be yeah. doing that to wayne Rooney, like that's a proper rags to riches like punk rock tale you know that's a yeah proper definitely. success story well the other like main talking point that i wanted to to address like on this week's show was kind of ties in with how the behind the scenes of Pompey's been run over the last couple of years. And that's kind of the the financial state of the game. And the reason I wanted to bring this up was because recently in the news, uh, there was these leaked financial documents and Roman Abramovich was kind of caught up with it in this whole having financial interest in a third party player and so on and so forth. And I think like that, not necessarily that story specifically, but I think money in football is a big talking point like we saw obviously in the summer because of everything that's happened with covid like teams in the championship league one and league two have now got this wage restriction which i think is stupid like i know obviously there's more money in the premier league but i think it's stupid that it hasn't applied to the premier league and i think like for me personally money is ruining the game because like not just necessarily in England, like you look at like your Barcelona's, you look at your Bayern Munich's and like PSG are the prime example. They're just chucking money at, at sort of cracks in the wall and hoping it kind of plasters over it sort of thing. So, and I guess, again, going back to that punk ethos, like, like I, I'm a person that has very minimum sort of income uh, but I want to like do my best to support the bands I like and things like that. So you want to see the underdogs prosper and things like that, but it just doesn't feel like that's possible with how the state of money is put into, into clubs at the moment. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to kind of have a general chat about like, why, like, is there a way that this can change to make it a more even playing field or are just billionaires ruining the game, I guess uh to answer that really briefly no and yes <laughs> uh no I, I mean i i don't think this is going to go away to be perfectly honest um and it is i mean we were all probably to to talk about portsmouth football club specifically we were probably all delighted when um alexandra Gaidamak came who was the, our russian owner when we were in the Premier League years we were all delighted that that happened because it meant we could sign Jermaine Defoe and Peter Crouch and Suleiman Tari and Glenn Johnson and David James and Sol Campbell and etc 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 which were players the calibre of which you know I, I never believed going to Pompey in like 1994 and having to watch Tony Dobson and you know, John Dernan, I never believed that I would see the caliber of those players playing. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's, I think it's very much, a, obviously it's very much a case of be careful what you wish for. As, as a fan who goes to the games, I now would be, as a Manchester City fan, I used to have a real soft spot for Man City. I used to really, really like Man City before the, the takeover. I thought they were, 
you know, when they had Stuart Pearce in charge, and obviously Stuart Pearce is a, a legendary character in British football, and I thought he spoke really well as a manager. And you know, I I I liked that kind of City winning team from you know the the kind of Colin Bell era of City. I always thought their kit looked cool as well. I just always had a real soft spot for City, and also we used to um, sell them quite a lot of players. Fitzroy Simpson, we got from them, and they brought Lee Bradbury and Paul Walsh from us as well and so we had I felt like we had a quite a quite a cool kinship with um with City but now even if I was supporting Manchester City and you would be seeing unbelievable football I think you'd be seeing you know it would be the sort of stuff that you would have to pinch yourself if you're a City fan from you know that that year when we put them down into League One and they were or or the Division Two or whatever it was the third tier of English football back back in those days um they just, you know, if you'd have told them then, you'd see players like De Bruyne and Aguero turning out from them. They'd be playing, you know, they'd be beating Real Madrid and knocking them out of the European Cup. They just wouldn't believe you. And I think there was, you know, there's that sort of thing for those fans is incredible. But I actually feel that it gets old. If you're a, if you're a proper fan, I think it gets old quite quickly. The Premier League mm. got old quite quickly. I, I started feeling. I mean, for example. Jermaine Defoe is probably the best striker that is technically the best striker in in, in the, that has ever played for the club for Portsmouth. Yeah, I, I despise Jermaine Defoe. I have no I have no <laughs> positive feeling towards Jermaine Defoe whatsoever. He's a merc- He was a mercenary, and he was a disp- kind of a risible, despicable character. I don't know. Did you go to the we played West Ham on Boxing Day just after Harry Redknapp quit and went to Tottenham. And Jermaine Defoe was sold quite soon after. But he put in what I think is probably the most unprofessional, disgraceful performance I've ever seen a professional footballer play, put in in my entire life. He missed a penalty that day and he spent his whole the rest of the afternoon stood in the centre circle with his hands on his hips, grumbling. And I just thought, yeah. mate, you're on about 120 grand a week at this club, at this rotten old stadium and these people who like you say Portsmouth's not let's be really honest about it Portsmouth is not a nice city particularly it's not a a a particularly wealthy city it's got a lot of run-down poverty-stricken areas and to see somebody do that I think is like I don't want to I don't I don't want to see that I'd rather see 11 people who are technically shite get battered at AFC 4-0 at AFC Wimbledon than I would watch a millionaire stand with his hands on his hips wandering around the pitch and not give a fuck like I don't yeah. I don't want to see that I just I just I've got no interest in that and that like all that stuff we were saying about Pompey being this close-knit community and this tight you know run-down dilapidated but you know stadium but full of character that is an, that is a a direct insult to that Jermaine Defoe was a direct, uh, that day was a slap in the face to to the, the history of, of our club, I thought, of, and the ethos of that club. And Manchester City used to have a really strong individual character about them as a club, and they don't anymore. And you can't, yeah, ever, I think, you can't ever get that back. You can't ever get that back. I think this kind of goes back to like what, you were saying about like Pompey if we were to ever to move from Fratton Park it's like as soon as City left Main Road like 
their identities just completely changed and kind of disappeared and and things like that and it's I, I i don't really know if it's similar with tottenham because like i know white Hart lane was quite a big stadium anyway mm. but it feels like because they've got this massive injection of money now like chelsea was exactly the same when abramovich first came in like from a neutral perspective it was it was quite funny to see like them also almost kind of playing monopoly yeah. with football players like you've got like Veron, Hernan Crespo, all these players that like you didn't think would you'd ever see in the Premier League, but they were literally just chucking money at them because it was fun. And and, it's... and what what does that say about you know, Chelsea Football Club are a football club that are meant to represent the borough of Fulham and Chelsea like they're they're meant to be about that part. I mean admit you know, admittedly Chelsea is quite a well off you know Part, yeah, yeah. part of London, obviously, but at the same time, you know there are a lot. I mean, I remember the Chelsea in the early nineties. The, the you know, cars parked behind the open shed end with no fans in it and stuff, you know. And and Chelsea also were a, were a team who used to bring youth team players through: Eddie Newton, Frank yeah. Sinclair, David Lee, Kevin Hitchcock, um, Michael Dubry, um, uh, what's his name, the guy Jody Morris. You know, they used to have a strong core of players that grew up around that area that were that were that had that kind of affinity with the club and it's all well and good you know like <laughs> with all due respect to the people who live in you know there, there's a lot of now the premier league is like well how can we monopolize the 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 market in asia or in america or in you know this part of the world or that part of the world and there are you know there are manchester's united fans in boston and there are Chelsea fans in Shanghai, and that's cool, good for them. But at the same time, I mean, I do think Chelsea's not just the name of a team; it's a part of the country. It's a part of the, the world that it, you know, that's that's been there long before the Premier League was there, and it's supposed to sort of represent some sort of like you know, like we were talking before, that it's supposed to represent some sort of community. A, it's a communal community part of that particular part of the world and for the people that are you know Chelsea fans now like how I would wonder how they feel about not really being represented by their their team and you know not really feeling like there is that unique characteristic that they used to have I mean I don't like I say I don't really know how you get that back and I don't really know if that trade-off is worth oh well we won a champions league do you know what i mean yeah, is, yeah. is that is it worth i mean in some ways it is i i do kind of think like well i got to see pompey win the fa cup and i got to see us play at wembley a, a number of times and i didn't get to see that back in the sort of you know the, the the early 90s when we were rubbish but you know once when we bought the club when the fans bought the club back, my dad was one of the people who put the, some of the money into it to actually like own a part of the club. And he was so, he was delighted. Do you know what I mean? He was so mm. over that. He was as happy with that as he was when we were playing AC Milan in the, you know, in, in Europe and stuff. And yeah, and I don't know. I think like the, the people that fill those stadiums, to me, it feels like they're the last people these days to be, asked what they want i'm sure they want to see the team win i want to see the team win but at the expense of like 
you know, a hundred years of history or it's, it's just, it's a really odd trade-off. I think more than it being whether or not is it morally sound or anything, I'm, I do always wonder how, you know, is that trade-off really worth it? And I'm, I'm not sure how much people really think about it that deeply. I'm not sure mm. if they do really. Do you know what I mean? When they're signing these big name players. Yeah. And I think like even sort of lower down the leagues, like obviously Pompey's financial struggles was very well documented uh, I think stuff going on with Sunderland was well documented, but obviously in recent history we've seen Bury FC get wound up, um, Maxfield recently, and his site like, Wigan is still up yeah, in the air, and and this is like the fundamental. Like, obviously, I don't have no idea how to run a football club. I'm not going to pretend to, but you think like. For something that's got such a global appeal, maybe not necessarily like if you're a lower league team, but like there has to be some kind of investment in that point of sort of like, well, we want to progress. And I'm not saying like people are coming in and buying the clubs just because it's a cool thing to do. Like that might be the case in some situations, but like, I don't know, like does there need to be more due diligence on the people that are coming into buying these clubs so we don't see these fall away or does there need to be like something higher up from the FA from FIFA to to address it and kind of put in safety measures I don't I don't well, know like how do we kind of break it I don't know. I mean I really think the horse has bolted at this point to be perfectly honest I mean I think um if your sort of financial well-being and your ability to be a football club is based on the whims of one individual and unfortunately I think at this point with the infrastructure that Abramovich has put into Chelsea if he was to leave they'd be all right um probably mm. the same with City as well I don't think that <laughs> probably isn't true for PSG probably isn't true for um RB Leipzig either um certainly wasn't true for Pompey certainly wasn't true for Aston Villa certainly you know Wigan is a really interesting one because Wigan were bought by Dave Whelan with Wigan you know never a big club but Dave Whelan built them this massive stadium made got them into the Premier League turned them into FA Cup winners had to step down and you know you wonder if those those fans who can remember them playing in their old grounds back in the sort of non-league days or the you know the the sort of bottom half of the fourth division days you wonder if you said to them like you know you'll have 10 years 10 12 years of getting into europe being in the premier league beating big clubs like beating may united winning an fa cup at wembley you can have that but then your club will go bust 10 years after that yeah what what or you can just stay where you are and be a, sustain, a sustainable football club in this community for the next 150 years i mean i don't think that will have I, I i hope and i don't think that will happen to wigan but that that kind of trade-off you'd have to wonder what they would say i mean i remember you know yeah. when, when it looked likely that pompey were going to go out of business a few years on the, on the various times it did at the sort of start of the 2010s um as much as i was like you know i'll always have that day at wembley if it was a case of that or you never get anything ever again i don't i think i would have been like you know what fuck it i wish you just left the roof off of the frat and end and we'd have got you know even if we ended up in the conference south 
I don't give a shit. Like I've got somewhere as long as we had somewhere to go. But when clubs are going bust because of one benefactor who just goes, Nope, that's it, taps off now, taps turned off, off you go, deal with it yourself. I don't, I mean <laughs> Randy Lerner at Aston Villa, for example, when they did due diligence on him and the amount of money he pumped into the club you can't do due diligence on someone and go, right, you're not allowed to get bored in 10 years and just say, nah, sod it. Like, you can't <laughs> yeah. do that. So the, the whole the whole idea of, like, one dude comes in and bankrolls this club is just, it's just a bad, it's just a bad model. Like, in no other business would that be a good model. And unfortunately, mm. football has become, like, this billionaire plaything for so many clubs. And it, it you know... I was going to say it never ends well. I mean, it's ended quite well for a few people, but then we don't know what's going to happen at the end of the, you know, like I say, I think Man City and Chelsea will be all right, but there are so many clubs who think, are Bournemouth going to, you know, Bournemouth got all the way up to the, the Premier League. Where are they going to end up? Could be anywhere. Mm. I, I mean, I know the dude's still in charge, the, the Russian dude that was bankrolling and is still in charge at the moment, but if he goes or just gets bored and goes, I oh, sod it, like then what? What happened to Pompey could have happened yeah. to so many teams. And that's what fucked yeah. me off. People were like, how dare you, you cheats and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And it's like, everybody's do everybody's bankrolled pretty much by one person. Those days of like a little local businessman being chairman of your, your club, they're just gone. And it's, yeah, it su- you know, it sucks. But I, I mean, I, I don't know how you turn that massive oil tank around. I just don't. So I think kind of moving on nicely from from that, talking about the local businessmen owning football clubs, that is something that can be done on a very, very small scale uh, in non-league football. And obviously what we're doing here is kind of shining a light on lower league teams each week. So I ask my guests to to bring a team to the table. So Stephen, who are you bringing to the table? Um, my dad lives in Weybridge, and he's close. He's got two teams that are close to him. Uh, one is Kingstonian, but the other is Woking, uh, which is the team that he ended up going to see on sort of off weekends when he wasn't going to Pompey. So I've picked Woking Football Club. Okay, cool. So like. I guess that kind of answers my question, the affinity. But so have you gone to many games? I have, with yeah, I have been to a few. My dad is, um, I think he's got some sort of weird OCD where he can't not go to football at the weekend. So this is killing him <laughs> yeah. at the moment. Like, you know, he, he will go to some pretty far out places to watch Pompey, but it'll go midweek to Woking if they're playing or if, you know, Pompey are playing, we're playing on a Sunday or whatever, he would go to Woking. And there'd be times where I'd go to visit him. And he'd go, oh, I'm going to Woking today. And it's like, oh, for God's sake, you know, I've just come down to sort of see you or whatever. And you're going, and yeah, you're going yeah. to, when you're going to Woking, like the one, rather than just have a sort of normal family, like weekend or visit your family or sit around and have a cup of tea, we've got to go to football. So I've been to Woking a few times. I really like it. Like it's a really good ground. And we first, um, when, I was, when I was sort of growing up in the 90s, I did want to go to football all the time. And Woking was usually, if Pompey weren't playing, if they were playing away to like Middlesbrough that we could, we'd, didn't want to go all the way up to um we had sort of two options with my dad now one of them uh three doors up from my dad the a director at wimbledon football club uh was oh wow there. so he brought the fa cup around my dad's house when wimbledon won the fa cup no James way <laughs> parked on my dad's drive it was mental um when they had, a, they had a big party and all the the wimbledon squad that won the 1988 fa cup were there and um 
so we go to Wimbledon a fair bit as well. And that was when I remember seeing Keegan's Newcastle with Ferdinand and Ginola yeah, yeah. and Beardsley and Espria and, you know, uh, Rob Lee and all those those players. And sort of seeing a thrill draw and we got to go into the, you know, the... Um, the, the sort of chairman's buffet room afterwards and have drinks and stuff. And it was really nice, you know, we got like caught. So I was always like, can we go to Wimbledon? You know, if we're not going to Pompey, can we go to Wimbledon this weekend, Dad? And he was like, no, no, we're going to go to Woking. And um, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, oh, really? Do we really have to go to bloody Woking playing like, you know, Kings Lynn or something? And, um, but they were great. Like actually, again, just like fun, a fun time going to football. And, it's a bit different going to Sellers Park and seeing like, you know, Les Ferdinand walk into the the sort of the the boardroom and have a drink. Um, but you would see the Woking players just come straight into the after the game. They'd come straight into the bar and stuff. And being like 13, 14, I was like, oh, my God, they're proper footballers or whatever. And I found, yeah, found yeah. that quite exciting. Um, and I think the reason why I didn't kick off about it a bit more is because I remember the the famous ninety one cup upset that that Woking oh, okay. did, yeah, yeah. Um, beating West Brom four two at the Hawthorns. Tim Bazaglo with a hat trick has kind of gone into FA Cup folklore, and I was like, oh my god, that's just up the road from my dad. And then they lost one nil. They put up a brave performance, lost one nil to Everton in the next round um, at Goodison Park as well. So they had this cup run, and then they were pretty good in the nineties. They 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 finished second twice in the conference and nearly got promoted to league football, which they'd never been in the league before. And then there was a bit of a decline, and they've been in the conference south. They actually bounced up from the conference south, um, not last season but the season before. Did all right back in the um, the sort of the fifth tier again, but they've sort of been bouncing between the sort of fifth and sixth tier over the last few years. Um, we did go once, and it was about it would have been more than ten years ago now. God, time really flies. But we went once, and I remember being really impressed by one of their players in midfield. They played a four four two, and they had a dude in midfield, and I was like, that guy's really good because the guy who's playing next to him is a is a waste of space an absolute joker he's terrible <laughs> yeah. and i was like and this is why i'll never be uh, a, a scout for a, for um for a football club is because the guy who i thought was brilliant um i can't remember his name at all but the guy i thought was rubbish was harry arter oh wow <laughs> yeah and i was like oh th- that guy that little runt guy he's awful like yeah he can't run he can't pass he's weak he's like thrown off a ball and um obviously harry arter went on to have a very good career and play in the premier league with bournemouth um but he was terrible for woking i don't know i mean i saw him one game but he was he was rubbish but yeah they're just like you know they're um i was gonna say they're sort of nearly men but they're not even nearly men at this point woking (laughs) but um but it's it's they've got a it's a quaint little ground and i've got to say the the bar um that you go in after is a sort of clubhouse bar is is one of the most welcoming clubhouse bars it's very very small it's really small but it's really nice and the players do tend to come in afterwards so yeah i've yeah. not been for years but i i do like going to woking it's a good time yeah i think that's like that's one of the things i love about non-league football is that kind of as you say that kind of going to the clubhouse after the match and just like everyone kind of chatting and everything but also that uh, ability of see maybe seeing these players that could potentially go on and have like decent careers yeah. like not so much on the same scale but like so literally like from the room I'm sat in now 
I can see AFC Porchester's ground. All oh, right, cool. So this is actually like round the back of my house. So I go there on occasions. I haven't been in a while, but there was a time where I was going quite regularly and they had this player called Andy Renamota. And I thought he was really fucking good, like really good with his feet, really young, really quick. And I was like, he's got potential. And then the next season he signed for Reading. So it's just like... Mm. Okay, okay, Reading aren't the team they used to be, but it's still like making that step up from Wessex Division One to Championship team yeah. in like you're jumping seven divisions in like one go. Yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. Thing. Well, I t- my best, I mean, my I have got a really, really good seeing a player before they got signed story actually. And I went, I went it. to France on holiday, and again, my dad, I went to my dad had a. Um, a book to places like come out to France. I was a bit older then, and I was a bit like, oh, I don't really know if I want to spend it, but I'll come out for a few days. So I went out to France. I was like, I'll come if we can go and watch a football match because it was right as the um, French season was starting. And so I went out, and my dad was like, Yeah, we, we, we can drive like about an hour up the road and we can go and watch Gwingamp, who hmm. were in the second tier of French football at that point. And we went to watch Gwingamp. I can't remember they were playing, but they had this guy up front. And he scored two goals and he set up another one. They won 3-0 and he looked like he was going to score every time he touched the ball. And I was like, that guy is well good. Like, he is well good. And my dad was like, he is good, isn't he? We should remember his name. And his name was Didier Drogba. Ah, that is very good. I like that. He was bloody good. And he's gone on to have an all right career. Yeah, yeah. I think think he did quite well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So do you, do you kind of still keep tabs on, on, on Woking a bit or not so much um, these days? Pro- not so much these days. I know, I mean, I do. I always sort of look out for their um, their results and stuff, but I've not been for a little while, to be honest. But um, if yeah. I was going to, if I, I always hope that they're going to get promoted to the league, but they're always after sort of, you know, five or six games, they're always so far off. Like they're, they're, they're well off the pace. When we first started going, they looked like, they were always finishing between sort of second and sixth and they looked like it, you know, yeah. it's like eventually they'll get to the league and I've sort of given up that they're ever going to be a league club, but I would love it. I would <laughs> love to see Woking get promoted into the, in, into the, um, into the league two, but I, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen for a while. I wouldn't have thought. No. And usually we kind of stop it with one team, but I think because they've kind of been in the headlines recently and they're quite an interesting team, I wanted to bring a team to the table in terms of hashtag United. So before we kind of get into what they've done recently, did you know much about the team? Do you know much about their history or anything like that before I kind of mentioned it? I knew that some YouTuber had started a team with the worst name possible. I mean, hashtag United (laughs) is a disastrously bad name for a team, surely. And I knew that they've got all this kind of celebrity um endorsements and there's chat of them they have they tried to sign like professional play didn't they try to sign akin fenwa was that right yeah yeah, okay. yeah so i knew about it and i just thought sort of thought this is some soccer am shite in there i don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think that's kind of it in a nutshell like when the idea was like first kind of came about it was very much like surely this isn't a real thing and i i think i could be wrong in this but i think when they first started they even had like youtubers and stuff in their mm. in their team and stuff like that but 
they're now doing okay in in non-league football and they're on a little FA Cup run like they've won their first three preliminary games two of which have been on like epic penalty shootouts so like I don't know like is this the way that football could potentially be going like could we see these weird teams popping up like out of nowhere and having their moment in the limelight. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like arguably, AFC Wimbledon kind of started the ball rolling for all of this, you know, 15 years ago. Well, Salford, so. Salford City Salford as well. City, yeah. Um, FC United of Manchester was a thing for a bit, wasn't it? I mean, I don't... I, yeah. Look, you know, we're going to rival Man United. Obviously, FC Wimbledon, I think... Um, uh, Romeo, was it Romeo or Harvey from the So Solid crew used to play played for AFC Wimbledon their first game? I think it was Harvey. I think it was, M- <laughs> sure. I think it was MC Harvey um, actually played for AFC Wimbledon their first ever game, and you know they were getting okay. like three thousand fans turning up to like the the moors on King, you know, in in Kingstonian and stuff. And um, but yeah, like hype around a non-league team, and there was the one that. Um, Jimmy Bullard had that one in Essex as well that he played for for a little bit as well, didn't he? So I think, I mean, talking about money in the game and it dominating the game, I mean, obviously you need far less money to take a non-league team but if you and, and make something of it. We've seen teams like Crawley and Russian and Diamonds be kind of bankrolled into the league previously. But I don't know, man. If, it, if, if just like having Omid Jalili as a supporter... Is, is, is probably <laughs> going to get people going to see it and it's going to make people want to play. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's. I, I guess the, the kind of the Instagrammer influencer generation are going to have their say on, I don't think they're, they can affect major football, but they probably yeah. can affect non-league football. They're going to get their grubby mitts all over that as well. Well, I think it's quite funny because like I was, I didn't watch the, the game they had on Monday, but I was kind of like, periodically like checking twitter and stuff and i think by the time the full-time whistle went they'd reached over two hundred thousand followers on twitter the, like the team twitter and it's just Fuck like no. i i think it's that kind of the thing that interests me about it is they've kind of captured like the millennial generation mm. in some aspects like i think like no matter what your age like football's football but like because they're doing it like things in a unique way and they have this kind of generation Z like kind of mentality sort of thing like it's it's a it's a cool club to follow even though it's a non-league club Mm. and I think I don't know I think that's quite an interesting thing to see and could be a learning curve for like getting more people into non-league football yeah I mean again I I think it's um yeah I think you're probably right I mean they're they're starting as it's a kind of it's a, a gimmicky thing for like you know Louis Tomlinson from One Direction playing for Doncaster for a game or he came on for a game didn't he and yeah I suppose any anything that can get people going to watch lower league football is good but I just think when that when that dies out I mean this is I think this is the thing with a lot of this culture without being too much like you know old man yells at a cloud um (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure if there's a lot of longevity in that i think salford being sort of bankrolled by the class of 92 and having that you know that that sort of association with the class of 92 has got them to that point but what what happens when those guys get bored i mean it might be the same thing that happened with russian and diamonds 
Darlington had that thing where you know they were bankrolled by George Reynolds for a while, and they said they're going to sign Festino Aspria, and they built them a new stadium, and then they just went bust. I think, you know, these smaller clubs, again, like it's about a lot of it's about sustainability, isn't it? And I think YouTubers aren't going to be famous for very long. Like YouTubers in general, that I'm sure that will continue to be famous, but I, I don't think the success of somebody on YouTube, someone who plays someone who plays Minecraft on um, YouTube playing for a non-league football team, that's only going to be interesting for a few months. So yeah, I, would, I, no. would, I would be surprised if there's much in the terms of longevity in a team like Hashtag United. And I, for one, as a cynical old arsehole, uh, would be <laughs> delighted to see them fail if I'm being put in the same way as I'd be delighted to see PSG fail and, uh, and Man City fail so yeah that's what I think Brown beats it Robson and Mozart away again it could be two saved by Reese, but it is two it's Tim Mozart again 2-1 so for people who have been listening to these first couple of uh, shows they'll know that I like to bring a bit of fantasy 11 to to the show but with a bit of a twist and with us being punks on the pitch we're bringing musicians onto the pitch so uh steven how would i like to kind of ask this starting off have you got a team name for your starting 11 oh shit no i don't actually um uh <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what i my, i i wanted to call my fantasy league team um fratton parkway drive um because but they, but but I can't because there's not an e uh, there's not there's, I can't put the e on the end they won't let me have a, it's too many characters put it that way so yes Fratton Park <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna have it for this Fratton Parkway Drive okay cool Fratton Parkway Drive um, cool. yeah do it, so do you have a formation um, yes I've decided just to prove to Kenny Jacket that this formation does work I've picked Kenny Jacket's preferred formation of four two three one um right. deliberately to because he's misusing that formation so badly at the moment i wanted to prove that it's it with used in the right context this formation can be a really really good formation brilliant right so as always we start between the sticks so who have you got in goal um so in goal i mean i've gone quite broad on in when you say punk music I've, I've, i have to sort of say straight away i've gone quite broad with the um with the the definition of what punk rock is um, oh that's that's so I've just gone fine really that's what we're all about music in general really um, um and i'm starting between the sticks with nick cave of nick cave and the bad oh. scenes fame so nick cave i just thought they always say goalkeepers are mental don't they? they say goalkeepers are crazy um i think nick cave has proved that his career that he's uh you know uh uh a bit of a maverick and i think that's what you need between the in, between the the sticks also you need someone who's commanding and having seen nick cave and the bad seeds previously he is an unbelievable front man just one of the most commanding physical presences so i think that would really work he's also massively intimidating um that's what i was gonna say imagine being a striker bearing down and seeing those fucking piercing yeah. eyes just staring yeah. at you and he's tall as well isn't he? you want a tall keeper so he's yeah, really, yeah so he's really tall um so yeah i've gone with nick cave in goal as i think he'd be um it'd be a, a petter check-esque goalkeeper i think <laughs> yeah cool so who have you got in your in your front in front of nick um so i think it's important to have a good relationship between your centre-backs 
I think that kind of telepathy between the centre-backs is incredibly important. Um, and in my mind, the sort of best centre-back pairings is have you have one stopper and then one with a good football. You would want one with a brain and one who's just a kind of thug. That's what I want. So kind of ball, but yeah. cultured, Bro- cultured one and a stopper. Um, yeah, Bra- bronze and brains. Yeah, exactly right. So um, I've gone for Henry Rollins and Ian Mackay together. Oh, see, this is the second time Rollins has been put is in it? defense. Ah, so right, he's, okay. he's, he's clearly got a running thing. Yeah, well, obviously <laughs> Rollins is, you know, he's your big thug at the back. The kick anything, don't come near me, heading balls away. Um, I think Mackay would be a good organiser a good talker. Um, I think he's a good leader and I think he's got, he's got a good brain on it on him as well. So I think, you know, he's a, obviously a very articulate gentleman. Um, I think he'd be able to organize and marshal that defense really well. And I think he'd have, he's got a slightly more, you know, I imagine being a kind of cultured left foot playing out from the, playing yeah. out from the back, yeah. um, you know, particularly from the, the, the less so the minor threat era but more the sort of latter day fugazi era the sort of the argue the, yeah. the argument era um Mackay is what i go for which is you know probably is like his, his twilight years a sort of veteran um ball playing center half that's how i imagine him i think like with them two in particular obviously they're friends in in exactly yeah, real yeah. life and things so i think they'd obviously build up a, a good chemistry mm. at the back as well yes um so that's what i've gone for at center back um full backs uh Fullbacks sort of become one of the most important positions on the pitch um, over recent yeah, it's years. Weird, you, have isn't it? able, you have to be able to do a lot. You know, you get doubled up on a lot. You need to be able to defend. You need to be able to play the ball. You need to have a, you know, kind of a lung capacity to get up and down that touchline, to play the ball in, to kind of cross it, to have an attacking flair. So I've decided to pick um, two people who, who I think have that manic, energetic... Um, quality to them uh ben weinman from the dillinger escape plan on one flank oh nice um, you know who would who has proven for many years of destroying stages that he can get up and down the pitch um quite well but also you know uh again he can he can do a lot can't he, he can do the lot can't he ben he can sort of sing he can play mad jazzy chords he can play big riffs he can play piano so i feel like he'd be able to get all the stuff done um yeah and that's him on on one side on the other flank um just because i wanted a fullback with pure pace i was like who's got who's got pace but is also would be kind of defensively commanding as well so i've gone from i've gone for scott hull the grindcore legend from agrophobic nosebleed and pig destroyer more more for agrophobic nosebleed who are probably the fastest band i could think of i mean i nearly went for um uh mishko from norsem because i saw norsem once uh <laughs> and i it was just the fastest thing i'd ever seen and i thought that raw pace up and down the flank yeah, would yeah. be really really essential but um i think scott hull can just do a little bit more like pig destroyer and agrophobic nose over the last few years have sort of broadened out their sound and they've got a bit of chug and a bit of meat to them so i think he could do the defensive work as well as having that kind of raw pace up and down the flanks i like i like your reasoning with that it's very very Thank good you. so i think yeah i think both of those players as you say would kind of almost not be like utility players but they've got enough in their arsenal to kind mm. of cover all bases yeah kind of that's thing. A, it's an important thing to be able to do in the modern game as a fullback um exactly uh, i've picked two kind of 
holding midfield players uh, and they're both sort of slightly different. Um, Bob Mould is the first one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've gone for Bob Mould because I think in that position, it's important that you get someone, that kind of Makaleli role, you always say, you know, like Didier Deschamps, the water carrier, he does the simple things well and consistency is really important as well. Um, Bob Mould is not a... Uh, you know, a showy wouldn't be a showy footballer, um, but he's yeah. unbelievably consistent. Husker do everything he's done incredible. Sugar, incredible. He's got actually an album coming out as we record this. He's got an album coming out in two days' time. He released an album last year, Sunshine Rock, which I thought was brilliant. He's just a just a fucking brilliant songwriter, um, and yeah. he does those really simple, straight kind of alternative punk rock songs timeless sounding songs so brilliantly so i can just imagine bob mold sitting in front of that defense you know getting the ball moving it on breaking up play doing that kind of thing um and also i mean another reason why i picked him uh, and there's not there's not a lot of outwardly openly homosexual footballers which i always find an odd and rather depressing thing bob mold uh would change that bob mold coming in and being like yeah. yes I am a homosexual man and that's fine. I think a lot of football fans need to to hear that. And so um, Bob Mould comes in um, for both his quality as a, as a man and as a player and for, for what he brings to um, the changing the, uh, the old guard of professional football. Yeah. So then who have you got with? Um, I've gone from Adam D from Killswitch Engage. That is a very, very different yes, type of player. Because I think next to that that kind of metronome, you need a you need a buzzy player. Do you know what I mean? You need somebody who will just kind of buzz around, will get the ball, will make box to box runs. Like Adam D, you watch him on stage, he's wearing a cape, he's um talking about his poos and you know, he's playing big riffs, he's screaming, he's doing the melodic parts, he's doing all the stuff. He's just sort of buzzes around. He's annoying, isn't he? He's annoying. You need that kind of like annoying player <laughs> yeah. uh, in your team who just sort of um, gets in the opposition's faces and just annoys people. And I think Adam D would be, you know, massively annoying. So I think you've got kind of everything in your midfield there. Uh, in that kind I'm of... Like, yeah, area. see this... This is that like, even though we're kind of still in our infancy in this show, I'm really liking how people are putting these teams together. Mm. And like... If you were to say those two names in isolation, they don't make sense. But when you kind of give reasoning, it's like it totally works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that's my kind of holding midfield too. Um, so playing behind the striker, my number ten, um, I, I wanted a kind of a kind of an individual. I wanted a sort of uh, a very individualistic. I wanted a flair player basically. So um, I've gone for who I think is one of the great flair frontmen of all time. Um, One of the most charismatic men in music, Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode. Oh, okay. Dave Gahan is just can carry a crowd of 80,000 people and put them neatly in the palm of his hand. And he's such a sexy, shimmering, classy person, you know, Um, even back when you go back to, uh, Depeche Mode are amazing live, but even when you go back to the the sort of um, the mid '80s period, the sort of Black Celebration music for the masses era, when it was just you know Dave Gahan fronting, 
a band with three keyboard players behind him and that was it and they're playing stadiums you know yeah. playing like pasadena rose bowl in front of eighty-six thousand people and it's just like martin gore <laughs> and alan wilder and uh and andy fletcher stood behind him just like pressing keys and then you've got <laughs> yeah. one bloke who's got to command all of that and sort of orchestrate all the the sort of madness happening and uh, and dave gahan is one of the few people in the history of music who's able to do that. So I think if you stick Dave Gahan behind a striker and just let him orchestrate the play and just like people like Robert Prozanetsky used to when he played for a I, I was literally just about to say just, that made that comparison. People would just like converge onto him and he'd kind of manage to slink his way out of it and, you know, make space and play the ball into people. So yeah, Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode playing behind that striker. Um, for wingers, I've gone for a double hip-hop um, wingman. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I've picked Davy Diggs from Clipping as my, as my winger because I think there's two types of sort of wingmen that you want. Um, and one of them would be that massively unpredictable... Uh, that that one that that play you just think I don't he's going to get the ball and I don't know what he's going to do with it and when I yeah, listen to yeah. Clipping I'm like this guy's incredible his flow's incredible but he can stop and turn on a dime and he can change direction so quickly and he's really kind of economical with his words as well which you know for someone who says so much is really really impressive so I think he would be that type of winger where the defense you get the ball and you just wouldn't have a clue what was about to happen it would all go you'd see the panic on the back four's face because you go, is he going to beat <laughs> yeah. us? Is he going to shoot? Is he going to go inside? Is he going to go outside? I don't know where he's going to go, but also, you know, he's got that flow. He's got a kind of Adama Traore about him, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, he's like one of those people that you can imagine like having this insane creativity, but then at the same time, like you think, as you kind of said, like you think, you know, he's oh he's got this pay could have this blistering pace he's just going to charge through the defense but no instead he's gonna like completely run rings around the defense mm, and then inside. play the simplest parts yeah, little back yeah. flicks and tricks all over the place um yeah and then for the other side i wanted just raw pace you know that again in the modern game smack the ball in front of you raw pace so i've gone for ocean wisdom uh do you know ocean wisdom okay. is a brighton based rapper um yeah, yeah fastest yeah. ever rapper he broke the records yeah for, um that eminem had for rap god and uh yeah he's just like he's got that old because he's got a kind of old school hip-hop sound to him um but it's just unbelievably pacey i think he'd be like a throwback of a winger do you know what i mean like yeah yeah ball knocked in front of you down the line and run probably does the same thing every time probably can't beat the first man with the cross the first time probably <laughs> hits it over the bar the second time but then the third fourth time he gets it but but just goes past the man every single time every single time just from raw pace um so yeah that would be my my wing two um perfect so who's who's firing in the goals for for this team well i mean again i wanted somebody who can play up front on their own and is a sort of you know you need somebody who can live up there on their own and again who can do a lot of stuff i mean i was thinking james brown who would have been pretty good um uh but i've actually i've gone for mark lanagan a bit more alternative so um, <laughs> yeah i've i've gone for for lanagan because i think you want you need if you're going to play up front on your own you have to be 
sort of malleable but consistent as well mark lanagan yeah. over the years has got his entire back catalogue again a bit like bob mold massively consistent he's done all kinds of stuff from kind of grunge to folk to like you know the album that he had out last year was this sort of 80s electro album um and also you want someone at the front who can look after themselves and mark lanagan is a hard bastard and I think, again, <laughs> you would not want to fuck with Mark Lanigan. Even Liam Gallagher's backing down from Mark Lanigan. So, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Lanigan up, up front against four defenders, no matter how many like st- studs down the back of his leg or how many elbows he's getting, he gets up every time. And, um, yeah, I just I just fancy him to be on the end of those crosses that are coming in and just, just like, battering round them in. Yeah, I just say... So, uh... The way that I'm kind of like visioning this team is kind of, I guess it, to to some extent comparing them to that famous Wimbledon team is they feel kind of yeah. very dogged, but but have flashes of flair. Mm. So is, is that kind of how you're kind of? Yeah, I think. Yeah, it? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, again, like you know, this is a this is a, a team that is. Um, kind of modelled on the Kenny Jacket model of of playing football but I think hopefully it has all the things that we're lacking at the moment like do you know I mean I don't see Marquis putting himself about as much as Lanigan does and he's certainly not he's certainly not (laughs) as consistent and um, you know Bob Mould will actually actually, Bob Mould would be Tom Naylor but certainly I think Adam D would do a lot more than Bryn Morris just seems to stand next to Tom Naylor whereas Adam D would be like getting back and sorting stuff out um and the, yeah, the centre-backs is definitely better than Raggett. So I just feel like, yeah, we, we, we probably would be a fairly sort of uh, economical team. But then it, it's yeah. get the ball to Gahan, isn't it? Every time yeah. it's just get the <laughs> yeah. ball to Gahan. Perfect. So if Kenny Jackett's not going to be able to to control this formation and make sure it works, who have you got controlling this this ragtag? Oh, I think you'll like this one. Um, so I thought the manager, you, you want someone who leads by example. Um, you want someone who's sort of done it all in the game. You want someone who's adaptable and can kind of bring in new ideas and philosophies and, and, and things. Um, you need someone who can command respect from their players. Um, and you want someone that your fans can cheer, but the opposition really, really hate. Um, so I've gone for Bono. <laughs> I've gone for Bono. I think Bono would get a tune out of this team. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> no, I mean, kind of. I got like from your reasoning. I kind of get it. Like especially the you can chant for and other people hate yeah, yeah. like that. That specifically. But yeah, I guess like he's a person that in his musical career has obviously controlled everything that you two've done he's put spins on what they've done he's in some ways reinvented himself many many ways and he's in he's the front man for the the best band ever in my opinion so so yeah i think that is very very sound reasoning and i think like last week matt uh, chose jamie lenman for his manager so you've got a man who's going to be wearing impeccable suits in Jamie Lenman to a man wearing leather jackets and sunglasses in yeah, Bono. He's like, uh, this is the Gareth Ainsworth of uh, <laughs> the management <laughs> yeah. world. Yeah. yeah. I just, you know, I think, you know, Bono would be, he'd be like, he'd be Mourinho, wouldn't he? Be like Mourinho on the, probably oh, on the wind up. Um, never his fault. 
you know, refereeing decisions did us every time. But you know, I think I think he could I think he could do it. And you can imagine the quotes in the press conferences yeah. would be fucking incredible. Yeah, exactly. It'd be box, box office. <laughs> Perfect. Brilliant. I think that is an incredible starting 11, Stephen. Thank you very much Thank for that. Thank you. Perfect. Well, we're done with another week. Got another weekend's action ahead of us. Um, Pompey have a, a tough task with Wigan, I think. like Any task is a tough task uh, at the moment for us, unfortunately. This is true. But yeah, I think this... This game will be not that not to take away from Shrewsbury or Rochdale, but I think this game will be a real sign of how things are going to progress for us. I think, like I know we're early on in the season, but this could be a significant match straight away. I think it's a must-win. They have they have to win. Um, they yeah. have to win this game. I mean, Wigan have got a lot of financial problems. They've lost what is it, fifteen? 16 players in the summer they've yeah, lost at yeah. home to Gillingham they lost to Gillingham and they've lost to Ipswich um they, they've got a few decent I mean they've got Cal Naismith and Gary Roberts are still at the club and I'd take either of those two back in a heartbeat to be perfectly honest yeah but um but you know on again on paper they are a they are working at best they're a work in progress there are a lot of youth team players and a few experienced players that have been left over from a side that have just been relegated, although arguably, you know, they, they shouldn't have been relegated. Um, uh, yeah, uh, but you have to, these are the games you have to win. If you've got any kind yeah. of, you've got any kind of ambition at all to be getting in those places, you can't, you can't take, you know, even five points out of a potential nine, um, from those fixtures feels like pretty crap so three out of nine from those <laughs> fixtures is or, or two out of nine i mean i they're gonna let a goal in sooner or later they haven't let a goal in yet but they are gonna let a goal in sooner yeah. or later i just don't know if they're gonna score one sooner or later <laughs> fair enough perfect Stephen. before i let you go as i mentioned at the top of the show you've got your own podcast and stuff so is there anything you want to want to shout out um yeah but it's called riot act and we just basically cover a very wide breadth of what we consider to be alternative music, I guess, really just sort of reviews and stuff. Um, and uh, we do, we've got some Patreon things that we do like, like full blown specials on classic albums and things like that. So, I mean, we're available on all the usual uh, podcasty iTunes, Spotify, Acast stuff. So if you feel like listening to that, then that would be lovely. Perfect. Brilliant. Stephen, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate no worries, it. No thank you.